Welcome to Housing Developments. I'm Jerry Howard. And Happy New Year. I'm Jim Tobin. Yeah, Jim, Happy New Year to you and your family. Uh, I hope you had a, a good restful week or so, because I think things are really going to start heating up here in town pretty quickly. Yeah, uh, We're going to talk about that a little bit today. But before we get to that, uh, I want to welcome to the show a uh, guest speaker, uh, a guy for whom uh, you and I both have a great deal of respect. And uh, that respect is is actually uh, much broader than just us. I think one of the, the, the most widely uh, quoted and most highly regarded housing economists in the country, NHB's own uh, Dr. Rob Dietz is with us. Rob, happy new year to you and your family too. Yeah, thank you. Happy holidays, guys. Good to join you. Happy new year. Rob, why don't you start out and uh, and give our listeners a, a little bit of a, a, a preview as to what we can expect in the economy this year? Yeah, I think uh, I think 2021 is shaping up to be a year of growth. We've we've got some supply side challenges as we've had uh, over the last few years, but. 2020 was really strong. We, we saw single-family starts uh, grow about 11%, a small decline for multifamily starts that were related to that suburban shift in housing demand. Uh, but we still have historically low interest rates, uh, strong home builder confidence. We're at a level of 86 on the uh, NHB Wells Fargo HMI. And all of this is suggesting that we should see gains in single-family home building. So we're looking at about a 5% growth rate uh, for single family construction. Uh, we think multifamily construction is going to be down uh, somewhat more in terms of about a, maybe about a 10% drop this year, but it's going to stabilize by the end of the year as the, the unemployment rate begins to level off. And I think, and this is not going to be a surprise to you all, I think the key issue is going to be housing affordability because the fact that we have really low inventories in 2020 means that home prices went up a lot. We're, we're looking at about maybe an eight to 9% gain in home prices in 2020. And that's going to price out buyers from the market in 2021 as interest rates creep up with a reopening of the economy. Well, let's talk about that for a second, if you could, Rob. Um, talk about the supply chain. I'm hearing from builders around the country um, that, sort of in the wake of COVID, uh, that the supply chain for virtually everything that goes into a house is disrupted and is taking significantly longer. A, can you can you verify that? And B, what can we do about it? Or what when is it going to get back to normal? I mean, that's absolutely what we see in, in the surveys. You know, the, the high levels of builder confidence are being generated by strong buyer traffic. The builders have been citing issues that range from uh, you know, increased delivery times of building materials. Uh, lumber is a constant thorn in the side of builders. We're seeing lumber prices right now. Uh, after having come down from mid-September to early November, they've risen back up to $875 per thousand board feet. That's that's just a 60% gain uh, just since mid-November alone. Uh, and, and as you mentioned, you know, those, those delivery times, they're, they're, they're going up. So time is money. The construction time has gone up. So uh, even in markets where we've seen strong demand, uh, we see uh, uh, issues related to land 
and lot availability. So all those supply side factors combined mean that the construction costs and the headaches <laughs> connected to home building are going to increase in 2021. And the risk is when we're already continuing to undersupply the market uh, that uh, it's going to hit the hit the brakes in 2021. So the advocacy issues connected to uh, the, the supply side of the market are really going to be key for the, the coming year. Hey, hey Rob, I, I'm going back to the supply chain, um, is that at all segments of the market? Is it, you know, first time move up and then even custom? Or is there any one segment that's seen a little bit more relief than others on those supply chain, so supply chain constraints? It's been everything. I and mean, obviously, we at NHB have been focused very much on lumber, but it, it's it's all parts of the supply chain. And it's just a function of the fact that the, we've, we faced a global pandemic. So the supply chains have been disrupted, whether it's been uh, imports of building materials that are constructed in other countries or the, the, the lingering tariff issues connected to uh, lumber itself, or even the domestic manufacturing of building materials or the development of a products like domestic lumber. Number, which has been affected by COVID-related labor issues and, and, and shift availability. So there's a lot of work to be done to make sure that the U.S. and the global supply chains are healed. And, and when we get that, we're going to get some relief uh, in terms of uh, building materials. But unfortunately, until that, that occurs, that's going to be a persistent supply-side challenge. Rob, do you anticipate that, that this challenge uh, could ultimately impact um, builder optimism and builder sentiment? We do. Um, so we saw builder confidence uh, get up to a level of 90, which was an all-time high in November of 2020. In December, it fell four points to a level of 86. Now, 86 is still a great number, of course, as we know. Uh, but that that dip was uh, the, the supply-side challenges beginning to eat away from some of the benefits that came about from the strong buyer traffic numbers that were being generated by low interest rates. And, 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 if, and if our sentiment in our index is an indicator of the direction that the housing economy might be going in, and it continues to slide, what impact does that have on the overall economy? We've been the strongest sector throughout the COVID uh, recession. Uh, what happens if, if, if things really do get bad for us? That's that's one of the things I kind of fear from a macro perspective in 2021 is that, you know, we, we've got the, the runway for some improvements in the overall economy. Housing's been a true bright spot for, for the overall economy. If you look at residential fixed investment, which is our, our GDP impact, it was up at a 60% annualized growth rate uh, in the second half of, of 2020. We were one of the few sectors to actually post a year-over-year -year gain in the number of workers working in our sector. Much, much of the economy with the unemployment rate at 6.7% is smaller than it was. So, you know, housing's been one of those sectors providing jobs, providing economic momentum, providing downstream economic impact. And the fear is that housing affordability could eat away at some of those gains, reduce some of that momentum, and then have spillover impacts for the overall macro economy. Well, there you go, Jim. There's your uh, there's your sales pitch right there. What you can take that those last few sentences of Rob's and get them in the hands of the new administration and the new Congress. What what do you what do you uh, see happening in the near term here for us? 
Yeah, I, you know, I was going to ask Rob, you know, about interest rates. He, he beginning in, in his of uh, his of uh, his segment here, he talked a little about rising interest rates. We've got a brand new Congress just got seated uh, on Sunday, the third of January. We've got a runoff on on the fifth of of January in Georgia for two Senate races. Controlled Congress, slim in the House for the Democrats, up for grabs in the in the Senate for the Republicans and Democrats. Janet Yellen getting ready to come in some point in the next couple months in Treasury. You got Jerome Powell still the steady hand on the tiller at the Fed. Uh, you know there there is a lot of lot of headwinds that we're facing, but also there's a lot of good a lot of good that we can point to in, in the new Congress and in with the new administration about housing's role. Uh, but Rob, I want to tell what, what about interest rates uh, and what what do you see is uh, are they are they going to rise? Can they stay low through through 2021? Well, so uh, we, we do think interest rates are going to increase. And, and the, the basic theory behind that is that as, as economic momentum picks up, as GDP growth picks up with the mass deployment of a vaccine, which we think will be well underway, uh, say, between May and October to the to the general uh, population of the country, uh, that the demand for capital will go up and that will uh, cause interest rates to rise. Now, we, we don't think they're going to rise dramatically. But the fact that they're going to increase and build on those price gains that we saw in 2020 both means that housing affordability is going to come under some challenge in 2021. And we, we know, for example, every $1,000 price increase and in building a new home prices out about 160,000 households from being able to purchase a home. So rising interest rates are another factor that are going to eat away and housing affordability. So whatever we can do for the industry as a whole to try to bend the cost curve on the supply side to keep those those regulatory costs down uh, will be good for, for builders and for buyers and renters. Well, Jim, that, that makes me, turns me right back to you. Uh, you've got a situation here where after this Georgia election tomorrow, uh, the Senate uh, could be in, in Democratic control. The House is very narrowly in Democratic control, but in Democratic control. Uh, I have not seen anything coming from the new administration that indicates that the economy is one of the top priorities. Everything that that I'm seeing uh, from uh, President-elect Biden's camp is talking about the environment uh, and talking about multinationalism uh, and getting America back engaged uh, in, in in a whole new set of, of trade and and. and foreign policy issues. What can we do, Jim? What is your plan to go forward here and make sure that that, that the president-elect doesn't make a mistake by ignoring the importance of housing to the economy? Well, first, first and foremost, we need to build on the success of this last COVID relief package. I think that's going to be helpful. As Rob talked about, renters and home buyers, making sure that people can stay stay in their 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 apartments or their homes. Now that there's a, a new a new check that's already it's already been deposited in some people's accounts uh, last week to help them pay their rents and pay their mortgages. I think that helps steady our our part of the marketplace. Um, and then and then continuing to provide that PPP funding uh, moving forward as we get into that kind of the mid mid summer uh, you know time frame where Rob's talking about with the you know widespread vaccinations and that that feeling that the economy can start reopening somewhat. Uh, I think you know Joe Biden. You said he's talking about uh, the environment. He's talked about climate change. 
uh, you know, all, all stuff that that for for him and his voters, that's very important. We'd like to see him focus on another economic package. I think they've they've talked a little bit about infrastructure. I don't think we until they get COVID under 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 uh, control, are we truly going to see this economy accelerate back? And they've got to pay attention to that. And again, as you said, Jerry and, and Rob's already articulated it. If we are the one bright spot. The sooner we can get us a brighter spot and drag this economy back to full, full, full capacity, whether it's unemployment or just it's it's normal GDP, uh, you know, functioning. That's our our role going forward here, and and let's not kill the golden goose, as I've been saying for the last few months. Hey, Rob, let me ask you a question. Uh, obviously, uh, Secretary Designate Yellen is going to play a large role in the. Uh, the economic direction that the new administration takes. Um, all three of us have met her before, uh, but you probably have the most experience with her. What are your thoughts about Secretary-designate Yellen and how does she view housing as, as a key component of the economy? I, I think if you're an investment and business-minded Democrat or, or just, you know, kind of a, a citizen of the country, I think Janet Yellen's a, a, a very good pick. Um, she understands housing. And so for builders and for modelers and multifamily developers listening to this, I think you should be reassured that we've got someone at Treasury that understands the importance of the housing market that's focused on housing affordability. And that comes about due to her time as, as chairman of the Federal Reserve. And, and that's a, an institution that uh, we take our leadership team uh, to meet with uh, every year. Uh, they, they know housing is a leading sector. Uh, they know the importance of interest rates to our sector. So I think the coordination between uh, incoming Treasury Secretary Yellen and the current Federal Reserve Chair uh, uh, Jay Powell is going to be very good, and that's that's a good news for uh, interest rates. Uh, the challenge is going to be on those hidden cost factors, uh, as as we know for over the last four or five years, which is just those regulatory costs, uh, the the temptation to to you know increase rules, whether for good purposes or bad purposes, uh, that uh, could uh, lower housing affordability conditions. Yeah, that's my my big fear, Rob. Is is that we're going to see this outsized emphasis on reversing so many of the of the the Trump gains on the regulatory front that we're going to see cost increases on that side. Now they're going to take months, uh, if not you know a couple of years to to really take full effect. But that's right about the same time that we expect to be back to kind of full capacity, whether it's in the economy or certainly a sustainable housing recovery and acceleration. So that's what gives me great pause about the incoming administration. And then you talk about the short-term headwinds of the supply side constraints. Uh, I'm sorry, of, of of the supply chain constraints. Lumber being, you know, probably the biggest one uh, that, that we all hear about. I think I think those are my fears. You know, if if the supply chain and and, and the and the Biden administration doesn't address those in the next six months to a year, then by the time the regulatory uh, constraints, I think whether it's labor policy or whether environmental policy come into play, boy, it, it could be a real recipe for um, you know disaster. Is maybe too strong of a word, but. But boy, we're, we're, I feel like we're right on the knife's edge of, of either ready to continue uh, or, or really or really pull back on housing. Well, let's talk about lumber for a second, guys. Uh, Rob, uh, during the course of, of the Trump administration, uh, we had a pretty strong housing economy. Uh, where were we getting our lumber from? Uh, has there been any change in the importation of lumber uh, in terms of other countries getting involved in it other than Canada? 
Or let me ask you, and I, and I want to throw this question on the table for you too, Rob, and that is, at what point do we start encouraging our members to look at other framing sources like steel studs? When does that make sense? Is it going to be something that we should be thinking about, given what Jim just put on the table? Yeah. So, you know, in terms of the broad view of, of lumber in particular, we, we get about a third of our, our lumber supplies from Canada. Uh, the good news was that uh, lumber continued to move across the border. That was something I know we all worked on back in March and April to make sure that supply continued. But uh, the bad news was that uh, tariffs were still in place, about a 20% tariff. Now, uh, the Trump administration has reduced that to about a 9% tariff. That's helped a little bit. But as we've seen, the the strength in housing demand has pushed those lumber prices uh, back up uh, since uh, November. And, and we haven't seen a lot of growth in some of the, we'll call them the alternative importable uh, sources of lumber. A little bit of increase in uh, lumber uh, imports from places like Germany. But uh, you know, really the story in terms of uh, bringing lumber into the country is from Canada. And then to the extent that we can increase domestic lumber production, which is going to be challenged by probably regulatory issues over the next uh, two to four years, is certainly a factor. Uh, and then to get to your question, of course, then we have the ability to substitute away from softwood lumber. At what price range does that occur? Well, we've done a little bit of research, and I, I think you'd have to see lumber prices in the 11 to $1,200 per thousand board foot range to really see steel, for example, come as an alternative source. Concrete framing, uh, which is about 10% of single family starts, is an option, but it's mostly deployed in the Southeast due to uh, hurricane code. So I think in the short run, we got to focus on those regulatory concerns. We got to find ways to increase domestic production of lumber. And of course, as we all know, we've got to get that new softwood lumber agreement with Canada. I want our listeners to understand uh, that Rob and Jim and Paul Lopez and a whole team of people from the staff are working on a, an overarching strategy on this, including academic research where we're going to get a third party to look at this uh, inconsistent price pricing of lumber uh, over a period of long, uh, long term. And we're going to look at it very closely and see if we can find out what is behind it. Is it regulatory? Is it a normal cycle? Or is there something more there? We've got to find that out once and for all. Very difficult. Jim and Paul are going to go down in uh, a PR and a political uh, approach to, to, to make sure that the new government does understand what's going on. I mean, the notion that we have to rely on increased domestic harvest in an administration that is talking about uh, more and more environmental preservation uh, is one that I think poses a big challenge. Jim, am I right there? Yeah, I, we, 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 you know, since the, since the, the, the early nineties, mid nineties, we've seen a, uh, a, a concerted effort up until the last four years ago to, to harvest less and less timber off the U.S. Forest Service lands. The U.S. Forest Service uh, was designed to, to manage and harvest responsibly a, 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 dependable and sustainable building material for this country. They are not national parks, and yet they have been treated like that since the Clinton administration up until four years ago, where we finally saw a, a, a modest increase. And by modest, I mean a doubling of the U.S. Forest Service lands from 2 billion board feet to 4 billion board feet. But nonetheless, a, a, uh, a, 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 an increase in production. I expect we will see that fall under a Biden administration. Uh, you have to remember, if the high, you know, in in the George 
H. W. Bush administration, we were pulling off something like fourteen or fifteen billion board feet a year. We were down to two four years ago, and then we, we doubled it to four and a half or almost five. Uh, and again, that that is going to retrench. So you've got that pressure from the, the public side, or at least the, the U.S. government side. It's really frustrating to watch it, you know, spike. Watch it come down over the fall, and now and now we're seeing this 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 further spike. Uh, and and despite our efforts to reach out through the Commerce Department or through our own letters to the domestic timber producers to get Rob Dietz, the smartest guy in the world on on these issues, in front of their company heads to explain to them why the housing industry, the housing recovery is sustainable up until the point they decide to kill it with high lumber prices. Uh, And we've been we've been rejected each time. Well, what I would uh, what I would want our listeners to understand is that right now this is issue number one for us. Uh, as soon as the new Congress organizes, they were all sworn in uh, just on Sunday. Uh, as soon as they organize and start doing their business, uh, we will be up there in their faces uh, to the extent you can be in anybody's yes. face during the COVID yes. lockdown. In their face. Uh, we will be zooming in their faces uh, <laughs> as best we can. Uh, to get an answer to this. But let me ask you one more question on this subject, Jim. And that is the president-elect Biden. Uh, he served in the Senate. He served as vice president. Has he been an ally of ours on the Canadian Lumber Agreement? Yeah, it, 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 Jerry, it's hard, hard to, to, to pinpoint any kind of real overt action by uh, by Senator Biden, former Senator Biden at that time, certainly his vice president. The, the softwood lumber agreement, the previous softwood lumber agreement uh, it ended under under President Obama's term and, uh, and then went to a cooling off period. And then, of course, we're in the tariff phase now with the Trump administration. Uh, but but not necessarily. We haven't seen anything overt over the years, even when he was in the in the in the head of the, the, the formulations committee or the judiciary committee. So I, I look at it as a, as a couple things uh, or one thing, right? He's a blank slate. Uh, so our economic message is he inherits an economy in trouble. Uh, now's the time for us to help formulate his opinions, not only on housing affordability, but how lumber plays into that in his administration as well. Like he said, like Rob said, uh, you know, some of his folks and Janet Yellen in particular, very familiar with housing. Uh, it's my job and, and the job of Dave Ledford and his, his great regulatory team uh, to carry that message into those new faces we're going to see in the administration and on Capitol Hill. Well, and there's one other element to it, and, and our listeners need to understand. We can flex our muscle uh, inside the beltway, and we do it very well and very frequently. But what it's going to take on something like this is grassroots involvement. Right. And as our plan comes together, and it will be coming together in the next uh, week, uh, we will be asking for everyone uh, to reach out to policymakers at every level of government and say, if you don't want to go into another recession, let's make sure that we keep housing affordable, keep building materials and building regulations uh, at a reasonable uh, paces. Uh, we're going to be counting on the listeners a great deal for that. That's right. Can I get a hurrah? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Well, I think, uh, Rob, what else would you uh, want to throw in here about the economy? Is there anything else that our listeners, for as they get ready to get back to work and, and start anew in 21, what else should they be paying attention to? 
the, the, the wild card outside policy issues, policy issues are often the wild card from a forecast perspective, but the, the real wild card is the vaccine. Uh, so we've seen thus far about 4 million Americans vaccinated. Uh, uh, I think more than 10 million doses of the vaccine have been produced. So we, we need to kind of get that, uh, that step up. And then what impacts will mass deployment of the vaccine have? And I'm I'm fairly optimistic, fairly confident that it means that we're going to get more of a normalized uh, economy, certainly by the, the second half of, of 2021. Uh, and then what impacts will that have on work? Where will people be working from? And then how will that impact housing demand? Because one of the things that we did see in 2020 was a notable suburban shift in demand, both for apartments and single family homes. Some of that's going to roll back, but some of it's going to persist as maybe people work from home one day a week or two days a week. And that means they can live a little bit further out from the urban cores. And those are areas where our builders and our members build more. Uh, so that is going to have a persistent impact and, and lift housing demand. So we'll really be watching you know, how the, the vaccine affects the overall uh, economy. And of course, these are all issues that we're going to be uh, doing education sessions on, forecast sessions on at uh, IBS X uh, this year. Uh, and uh, I hope everyone uh, uh, signs up and then listens in on those. Well, thanks for mentioning that, Rob. Yes, we do want our listeners to please uh, register for IBS X. Um, it's not quite uh, the fun time that you would have if we went to Orlando or Las Vegas, but IBSX is going to still provide you with the very best information, the highest quality education uh, to keep your business moving forward in 2021. And I can promise you, we will be live and in person for IBS 2022. But in the meantime, I want to thank you, Rob, for being with us today. Jim, do you have any closing thoughts? No, I just want to, I want to know if Rob, you know, we always refer to Rob as kind of the Yoda of the NHB staff, though, though, though not quite 800 years as the, uh, the, the, the beloved Jedi master. Rob, being older than both Jerry and I combined, have you in fact gotten your, your vaccine and you in line for the vaccine yet? I, I, I'm not in line, even, even with the doctor tag, apparently the, the PhD does not count as a medical <laughs> professional. So I, I'm apparently last in line. So I, I guess I'm more of a, a baby Yoda than a elder older. Yeah, that's right. There's a certain Grogu quality about you. <laughs> I would say that strong with him, the force is. <laughs> and I think that about wraps it up for this episode of housing developments. Uh, we'll be back with you again in the next week or so. In the meantime, I want to say thank you and goodbye. I'm Jerry Howard. And I'm Jim Tobin. Happy New Year, everybody.